almost every position that she held was accompanied by some sort of first title. North Texas lost a pioneer in politics on New Year's Eve. Former Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, who served her Dallas district for 15 terms, that's 30 years, in the House of Representatives, died at the age of 89. First African-American woman to serve in the Texas State Senate. First African-American woman to hold various administrative positions in the federal government. First African-American woman to represent North Texas since Reconstruction. Johnson, who was born in Waco, was first elected to Congress in 1992 and served until last January. When she retired, she was the dean of the Texas congressional delegation and the oldest member of the House. President Joe Biden even made a stop in Dallas on Monday night just to go to her memorial service. That's indicative of the relationships that she forged over the years. I mean, she's a former congressman, not a sitting congressman. Biden didn't have to, to show up to her wake and prayer service, but he did. She was instrumental in helping him get across the finish line in Texas in 2020 during the Texas primaries. And Biden wasn't the only president to pay his respects. At Johnson's funeral on Tuesday morning, former President Bill Clinton, who was also elected in 1992, sent along a video message. And in 1992, when we went to Washington together, she was one of my closest allies for eight years. I'm so thankful that I had the chance to get to know her, to get to work with her, and to become her friend. I'm Chris Blake, and on this episode of Texas Wants to Know, we explore the career and legacy of Eddie Bernice Johnson. Eddie Bernice Johnson had a 30-year career in Congress that followed uh, a stint in the Texas legislature and the Carter administration. So what kind of legacy does Johnson leave behind? It's kind of twofold when you think about it. That's Gromer Jeffers. He's a political writer at the Dallas Morning News. You know, first of all, she was a, a trailblazer and a pioneer when it came to women and minorities getting involved in public service. She was actually the first Black woman in Dallas ever to hold any kind of elected office at all. That's city council, whatever. And that's when she was elected to the Texas State House. She was the first Black woman uh, to hold a state Senate seat since Reconstruction. Prior to being elected the first, and until last year, the only representative from Texas's 30th Congressional District, Johnson was elected to the State House in 1972. She also served in the Carter administration and as a state senator. For this episode, I also spoke with Matthew Wilson, an associate professor of political science at SMU. It sent the message that all kinds of people can win public office in this area, that all kinds of people can serve the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the North Texas area, in positions of authority and responsibility, regardless of race, regardless of gender. Second, in a time and in an era where you relied on your representatives, your, your people in Congress, to bring home resources and money and port, quite frankly, to Texas in your district. She was great at that. She partnered with former Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson, a Republican, to do all sorts of things for Dallas in terms of improving infrastructure, transportation, helping DART, you know, all kinds of projects like that, the Trinity River Project. 
you name it. And she was also instrumental in getting resources for education, specifically with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, STEM. And that's why there's an elementary school in Wilmer named after her. And of course, Union Station in Dallas is named after her, the once segregated Union Station. So she was quite the trailblazer, but also effective in bringing back resources to Texas. I think the the highway expansions, the Love Field expansion, the general building out of the transportation infrastructure in the Metroplex with considerable federal help uh, is something that people can credit definitely to Eddie Bernice Johnson. And that was, again, an example of things that were not a Democratic issue or a Republican issue, but something where lawmakers across party lines from this area could collaborate to get done. And that's why I think uh, Mayor Eric Johnson, who, of course, we know is now a Republican, still characterized Eddie Bernice Johnson as an extraordinarily effective legislator because those were things that he cared about and there were things that she cared about as well. What made her so effective at crossing the aisle and getting things done with Republicans? She believed in relationships and she did not see Republicans as an enemy. She, As the enemy, she understood that they had a duty to their constituents as well. And so first and foremost, she wanted to find common ground. There are a lot of issues that Democrats and Republicans have argued about since the founding of those parties, right? But she knew that on most of the stuff, especially on projects and and and, and moving dirt for improvement projects and things like that, that you could find common ground, that you could work with Republicans. Well, I think a big part of it is that she was not a bomb thrower. She was not a vocal, hardcore ideologue. I mean, she was definitely, no doubt about it, a woman of the left. She had a consistently liberal voting record in Congress throughout her career. She was not a moderate or a centrist. But she was also not a member of the squad. She didn't have that sort of abrasive, in-your-face, revolutionary tenor. She uh, came along, I think, before the social media era. And I think that served her well in the sense that she established relationships across party lines that in that old-fashioned interpersonal way. You say she wasn't a bomb thrower, but she was not without some controversial vote. She was one of the House members that voted against the Iraq war. What were some of the other things that maybe stand out from her voting record? Well, in terms of her more controversial votes, certainly a few that stand out are her votes in after the 2000 election and after the 2004 election, not to certify the results. So she voted after the 2000 election not to certify the electoral results from Florida, where George W. Bush had prevailed. And then in 2004, she voted not to certify the electoral results from Ohio, where George W. Bush had prevailed. Uh, And of course, she was in the minority on both of those things. And the other thing where she had a kind of of odd and unusual stance relative to other members of Congress was that she uh, repeatedly uh, denied the Armenian genocide. And she was one of only three members of Congress who did not vote to support a resolution recognizing the Armenian genocide in, in 2019. So she really was kind of out on the fringe on that particular issue. Now, Those votes certainly do not define her career, but those are a few examples of cases where uh, she certainly was was out there and had a a strongly held, if certainly not majoritarian stance. The one locally that kind of stung for her was when um, she 
the Congressional Black Caucus Institute as a scholarship fund, and she used uh, some of that money to give scholarships to family members for her family members and the family members of her district director. That was not a good look for her. Let's go back a little bit further before her career in Congress. She started out as a nurse here in the Dallas area, and she also got involved a little bit in the civil rights movement in the late 60s, early 70s. What role did she play locally in that movement? I think that she was, you know, not, again, not a a bomb-throwing, literal or figurative activist, but she certainly was a community leader, played a very strong role in in, uh, organizing uh, resistance to racial discrimination. And that's something that followed her into public service as well when she entered the state legislature and entered Congress. Uh, She repeatedly focused on issues where she thought that there were uh, uh, unfair racial disparities and sought to, to root those out. She was tight with with the labor movement and, and sort of trying to find uh, economic justice and for for workers and and there are all kinds of safety concerns back then. She emerged in an era, a tumultuous era of the '60s and early '70s. It was a time when women in Dallas, in some cases, had to get permission to do things like open up a bank account and things like that, you know. And so she was fighting for not only the rights of workers and minorities, but women as well. And that's what got her, quite frankly, credibility inside the Dallas communities. So when she was able to run for office for, for the Texas House and, and the Texas later the Texas Senate, she laid that groundwork as being a fighter for the people of Dallas, specifically the downtrodden. At Johnson's funeral on Tuesday, former Dallas Mayor Ron Kirk said there was one through line that followed Johnson's career from the 1970s until last year. You look at Eddie Bernice Johnson, all the things she accomplished, all the legislation that she passed, all the racism that she overcome, and think, how did she did it? It was the work. Eddie bathed in that hard work. Johnson was buried Wednesday morning in Austin. I'm Chris Blake at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote, edited, and produced this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.